The most important part of the story is the ending. No one ever read a book just to get to the middle. That quote is from a well-known American author who sold over 200 million books during his lifetime. Say it again. The most important part of the story is the ending. No one ever read a book just to get to the middle. Today, my message to you is about finishing strong. Of course, we're celebrating uh, Grandparents' Day, and I'm so happy that we have uh, many grandparents uh, here today. Uh, this message is for you. This message is for me. I'm a grandparent as well. I, the Lord has blessed Rhonda and me with 14 grandchildren, uh, several of them uh, in the uh, auditorium today. And we're blessed. But this is not just, this message is not just for grandparents. There, there are a lot of young people here today that uh, in, in so many ways are just starting their lives. And this message is for you too. Because this theme of finishing strong is vitally important to every Christian. And she's not with us today. The Gillettes are are not with us today, but many thanks to Laura Gillette who found some great resources for Grandparents Day. You saw some of the graphics uh, that have been on social media and have been on our announcement. And uh, she also found uh, the body of this message, which uh, I greatly appreciate and I have taken it and adapted it. If you hear something in the message that particularly resonates with you, it was probably from her material. And if there's something in the message that doesn't quite make it, that was probably where I was trying to make it my own. So uh, I appreciate your patience. Finishing strong. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to address this body of believers. What a privilege it is, Lord, to have your word. What a responsibility it is, Lord to bring that word to the people, the people that you have called by your name. And Lord, I pray that I will fulfill my responsibility and I will do as you have commanded today. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Professor Howard Hendricks of the Dallas Theological Seminary was a great Bible student. And he, of course, there are thousands of people mentioned in the Bible, but he zeroed in on on the top 100 leaders whose stories are recorded in the Bible. These are men and women who are recognized as leaders and we have enough information about them in the Holy Scriptures where we can make some judgment about their life. And he estimates, Howard Hendricks, Professor Hendricks estimates that of the 100 or so leaders Fully two-thirds of them did not finish strong. Only one out of three got to the end of their lives. And the word could be said, yes, they finished strong. Here in, at Blackman Baptist, both in Sunday school and, and here in the pulpit over the last several months, we have looked at, well, we looked at King Saul. Oh, he started well, started humbly. And there were some successes in his life, but his life ended 
in defeat on the battlefield, four of his sons slain with him. Israel in full retreat, the country in shambles. King Saul did not end well. We've looked at King David, a man after God's own heart, the gentle shepherd, the sweet psalmist of Israel. He started well. And really, up until the middle part of his life, he did well as well. But due to his sin, he brought shame on the name of God and his family. His kingdom endured civil war and pestilence because of his sins. It would be hard to say that David finished well. And then his son, King Solomon, he too started so well, so humbly, asked God for wisdom so that he would know how to guide his people, lead his people. At the end of his life, he took foreign women as wives with their wicked idol worship and he led the entire nation of Israel astray. So there's a lot of opportunities to study leaders in the Bible who did not finish strong. But I want to direct your attention to a New Testament example, the Apostle Paul. I want you to turn in your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 2. I'm sorry, 2 Timothy chapter 4. We'll be reading just three verses there today. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. Hear the word of the Lord. This is Paul speaking to Timothy. And Paul says this in verse 6, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time for my departure is close. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. There is reserved for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day. And not only to me, but to all those who have loved his appearing. Here's a man who's finishing strong. He's at the end of his life. These are the last recorded words of the Apostle Paul. Things aren't looking really good for Paul right now at this point. He's old. He's alone. Only Luke, the physician, is with him. All else, all others have deserted him. He's in Rome. He's in the Mamertine prison, which basically is a hole in the ground that opens up into a dark and dank and wet cave system. Rhonda and I had the opportunity to visit the Mamertine prison, and it's not a place that anybody would want to spend time. And this is the last letter that we have from Paul written to Timothy, his beloved son in the faith. But these are not the words of a man who is finishing weak. These are the words of a man who is finishing strong. And I think it makes us ask the question, how could Paul finish strong? How could Paul succeed at finishing strong when so many others have failed? And I think it's because there are three truths that Paul recognized. Three things that Paul saw. Here's the first truth. Truth number one. Paul had a correct view of his life. Paul had a correct view of his life. He saw his life as a sacrifice. You see it in verse 6. He says, For I am already being poured out 
as a drink offering and the time for my departure is close. So Paul refers to his life. I think Paul had the correct view of his life. Paul refers to his life as a sacrifice, as a drink offering. In the Old Testament, there are many rules and regulations for how the sacrifices were to be offered. And there was always the main sacrifice, which was normally a lamb, a bull. If you were poor and couldn't afford a lamb or a bull, maybe a dove. Blood was shed. And sometimes the main offering was accompanied by a drink offering. I think Paul is making the point here that his sacrifice of his life, he knows he's about to be executed by the Emperor Nero. I think the point that Paul is making here is I'm being poured out as a drink offering, but I am complimenting the main offering because the main offering is Jesus Christ on the cross. The main offering is what Jesus did for us on the cross when He gave Himself for us. That's the blood offering. And Paul has the correct perspective on his life. He, He realizes that it's not about me. It's about Jesus. And if you don't have the correct perspective of your life, if you think you're all all the center, the focus, well, I think we can see that in the life of King Saul. I think we saw it in David. Certainly saw it in King Solomon as well. And I think Paul is saying, I recognize that what's about to happen to me is complementary to the true sacrifice when Jesus Christ laid down His life for us on the cross. Paul knew that his role was to point towards the main offering. He knew that his role was supplementary. If a person has an inflated notion of his own self, his own importance, I can almost guarantee you that they will not finish strong. Paul could go to his grave satisfied Because the purpose of his life was not on what Paul could accomplish. And let's be be real. Paul accomplished a lot. But Paul knew it wasn't about him. This church needs to be full of people who recognize that this ministry is not about ourselves. It's all about Jesus and what He did for us. And we are constantly pointing to Him. We'll let you down. He'll never let you down. If you want to finish strong, the first step for you is to know who you're living for. If you're living for yourself, you're not going to finish strong. So I think there are three truths here that Paul recognized in his life. The first truth, Paul had a correct view of his life. And his life was a sacrifice. Truth number two, Paul had a correct view of his death. In verse 6, Paul says, For I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time for my departure is close. One translation says, The time of my departure is at hand. The Greek word here that Paul uses for departure is a kind of a fun word. It's an interesting word. It's not a word that you would associate with your own death. But the word that he uses here in the Greek, it's actually used people who are about to sail out 
they use this word for departure. What it means is the anchor's up, the ship has been made ready, the sails are set, and it's time to leave. Now, Linda and I have been on a few cruises in our lives, and I got to tell you, that, that departure time where we're sailing out of the port, that sail away time, that is one of the most exciting times on the whole trip. It means that the journey's not over. The journey's about to begin. Paul's ship is about to set sail. The word departure here carries with it the perspective of a beginning, not an end. And death is not part of the circle of life. Death is the port into our new existence with Christ as our Savior, living with Him. Life is not a circle, it's a line. A line with a beginning and its end in eternity. And what beauty lies just beyond the horizon. How could Paul look forward to his departure? Well, I think Paul knew that his body was like a tent. If you've ever spent the night in a tent, you might have enjoyed it because it was unusual. Maybe the weather was good, the humidity wasn't too high, and the bugs didn't keep you uh, bothered, and the frogs didn't keep you awake all night. But a tent is a temporary dwelling. We really prefer to stay inside, don't we? And Paul looked at his body as a tent. The Bible says that we groan for a new, perfect body. I look forward to getting a new body with no problems. We have that to look forward to. Paul also understood that not only is our body like a tent, Paul knew what happens at death. Fear always surrounds not knowing or being able to control our future. The Bible has told us what happens when a Christian dies. Our spirit leaves our body. When Jesus was near Capernaum and the ruler of the synagogue came to him and said, Jesus, please come to my house. My daughter is at the point of death. His 12-year-old daughter. And so Jesus made his way to their home. And uh, you know the father was thinking, please hurry. She's sick unto death. And Jesus is going on that dusty road to his home. And there's great crowds around him. And suddenly he stops and he says, who touched me? And a woman in the crowd had reached out and, and touched the hem of his garment. And that her faith in Jesus' power had healed her. And you know the Father is going, we need to go, we need to hurry. My daughter's dying. And then the word came while they were still on the way that yes, in fact, his worst thoughts had been confirmed. His daughter had died. And, and the word was so practical. They said, she's dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? And Jesus looked at him and he said, only believe. And they continued on the way. He went into that house and he saw the professional mourners who were there who were crying, screaming, wailing. And he shushed them. And he said, there's no need for that. She's only asleep. And these are people who knew death. And so they laughed. 
And then he put them out of the house, went into the room with the mother and the father. And the, the scriptures say that when he restored her to life, her spirit returned. Our bodies are like a tent. And when we die, our spirits leave our bodies. Our bodies are just a shell. I actually have a tent in my attic. It's all bundled up. It's in a little box. And it's not worth much when it's not inhabited. Same with our bodies. A dead body is simply an empty shell once the spirit of the person has departed. For the Christian... Once our spirit departs, we are immediately with the Lord. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8 says, In fact, we are confident and we would prefer to be away from the body and present with the Lord. So when our spirit leaves, we are with the Lord, just like that. And one day we will receive our new bodies at the return of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, such an amazing passage that talks about what's going to happen. Paul says this, What I'm saying, brothers and sisters, is this, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor can corruption inherit incorruption. Listen, I am telling you a mystery. We will not all fall asleep, but we will all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, that the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we will be changed. For this corruptible body must be clothed with incorruptibility. And this mortal body must be clothed with immortality. When this corruptible body is clothed with incorruptibility and this mortal body is clothed with immortality, then the saying that is written will take place. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where death is your sting, your victory. Where death is your sting, the sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So when we die, our spirit departs our body. As Christians, we are present with the Lord. And we know that we will also stand in judgment. 2 Corinthians chapter 5.10 says this, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that we may receive for what has been done in the body, whether good or evil. Now, for the Christian, this judgment is not about whether you're going to be in heaven or hell for eternity. This judgment is for reward so that we can be rewarded for what we've done for Jesus. The third truth, I think, that Paul, that helped Paul finish strong is that Paul had a correct view of his reward. We've just been talking about reward. And Paul talks about it in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8. He says, There is reserved for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day. Jesus conquered death for us. Death does not have the final word over us. There is hope and there is triumph through Jesus Christ. You know, we talked about one meaning of departure. It's like a ship that has been made ready to sail out of the port. There's another meaning for the word departure, too. It's a Greek word that means the unyoking of an ox from the plow. Think with me a moment about what an ox is used for. An ox is used for hard work. 
planting, harvesting. And here's the picture I think that Paul has given us as well. Paul had been doing hard work, but now it was time to unyoke the ox. The work is done. Death is going to release him from his work. Death is both the beginning of a new life, but it's the end of a hard work. One of the common problems I think that we have as Christians is that we have bought into the subtle culture of the day when it comes to retirement. The later years of life are not meant to be a season of stagnation for the Lord. This is not the pattern in Scripture. God does not give senior discounts and He doesn't have retirement homes. In fact, the Bible teaches the exact opposite, that as we age, our value actually increases. Here's an amazing passage, Psalm 92, verses 12 through 15. The righteous thrive like a palm tree and grow like a cedar tree in Lebanon. Planted in the house of the Lord, they thrive in the courts of our God. They will bear fruit in old age, healthy and green. To declare... The Lord is just. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in Him. Our later years are to be productive, fruitful years. Specifically mentioned here, the date tree. Date trees live to 150 years of age. And in their later years, they will produce hundreds of pounds of dates every year. Age does not impair the fruit-bearing capabilities. It actually enhances them. At no point should idleness be the sought-after attribute for our life. God used many individuals later in their life. I think of Moses. Moses thought his life was over at 40. Little did he know. He had 80 more years. I think of Caleb, who in his old age, as the children of Israel finally got into the promised land, I think of Caleb, who claimed a mountain and went to the leaders of Israel And he said, I want that mountain. And they said, well, you know there are giants on that mountain. He said, yeah, I want it. And he took it. I think of Anna in the Bible. in Her story in conjunction with the birth of our Lord. The biblical expectation is that older men and women will invest invest in younger men and women. And I think we see that in Titus chapter 2. Verses 2-7. through Older men are to be self-controlled, worthy of respect, sensible, sound in faith, love and endurance. In the same way, older women are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not slaves to excessive drinking. They are to teach what is good so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands and love their children, to be self-controlled, pure, workers at home, kind, in submission to their husbands, so that God's word will not be slandered. In the same way, encourage the young men to be self-controlled in everything. Make yourself an example of good works with integrity and dignity in your teaching. The biblical pattern for grandparents is that they should reach their grandchildren so that they love the Lord and walk in His ways. I love this passage from Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 9. Only be on your guard and diligently watch yourself so that you don't forget the things your eyes have seen and so that they don't slip from your mind as long as you live. 
Teach them to your children and your grandchildren. Old age does bring some transitions, but a decrease in responsibilities is not one of them. Here's something from John Piper. John Piper says this, Live now to make much of Christ. Measure everything by this. Will it help more people admire Jesus more intensely and treasure Jesus more deeply? So all of you baby boomers just breaking into Medicare, gird up your loins, pick up your cane, head for the gym, and get fit for the last lap. Fix your eyes on the face at the finish line. There'll be plenty of time for R&R and the resurrection, but now there's happy work that needs to be done. What kind of life lived would cause Jesus to say to you, especially you grandparents, well done, good and faithful servant. If the time of your departure has not yet come, then there is happy work to be done for the Lord. Paul knew that dying would be easier because he had not wasted his life. Thinking about death clarifies how we should live now. And I will tell you this, I think about death often, not because I have some morbid fascination with it, but because there are a few things in my life that have the ability to focus my attention, like this aspect of death. Every one of us faces death, but every one of us also faces the danger of a wasted life. So I have three questions for you. Who are you living for? Is your life an offering to God or a monument to yourself? Are you working for the Lord or have you prematurely unhitched yourself from the ox? Third question. Does the idea of standing before the Lord to give an account of how you lived your life for Him, does that bring you anxiety or does that bring you joy? Maybe one of those questions has triggered something in your mind that you realize you you need to give your attention to. Maybe something in those questions or in this message has triggered something in your heart where you know, I need to respond. I would encourage you to finish strong. The Bible is full of stories of those who failed. Those whose love for Christ grew cold. But I want you to be like Paul who realized that his life was just a sideshow. His life was just a side sacrifice compared to what Jesus did for him on the cross. Be like Paul, who could honestly say at the end of his life, as his departure was at hand, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith.